Well, if you uh, would turn to the back of your bulletin, there's a picture of a family there, and that is a picture also of our speaker this morning, a friend, a wonderful uh, missionary family that we've been supporting for a few years now and uh, have gotten to know. And their family has been such an encouragement to us. And those of you who have been on the mission trip or are sending your children off uh, to uh, be with the team this year to Honduras will be serving alongside of Rob and Sherry Kensinger and their children, as you can see there, the wonderful family. And one of the things that, that has always been a joy is his uh, uh, humble love for the Lord. Many of you know that he was a uh, physician in his uh, previous uh, profession, but the Lord led him off to seminary. And what better way to not only be a doctor of the physical body, but a doctor of the soul. And he teaches in Maida. He preaches down there in his local church from time to time. And the Lord has granted to him the ministry of the Word of God to be able to uh, minister the Word of God so that lives can be changed and also People who will be pastors in the future will be able to be well-trained in theology, which is his area of teaching primarily. So we're grateful for him and his uh, ministry. We want to uh, encourage you afterwards to get to know him better, as well as Sherry, his wife, and they have uh, some wonderful, wonderful, uh, and we have some wonderful uh, memories together. So let's give them a warm welcome as he opens the Word of God to us. Good morning. It is a joy to be with you. I, uh, we were telling Pastor Joe earlier this morning, this is getting to feel more and more like our second home. We are, uh, Sherry was born and raised in Idaho. I was born in the great state of Michigan and uh, raised in the enemy, ter enemy territory of Ohio. Uh, it's been rough these past few years. For those of you that are American football fans and know what I'm talking about when it comes to Michigan, and I know I'm in the Washington territory as well, so you're not real fond of Ohio State either. So we're kindred, kindred hearts and minds today, but we have more important things to talk about this morning, and I'm just so grateful that uh, you've invited us to come. It is, a, it is a joy to come. We apologize that we do not have Caleb with us or Jackie. Uh, many of you have said, where's Caleb? And uh, Caleb is certainly a great joy in our ministry, but this is our first time to leave Caleb for more than just a week or two, and he's 24 years old. So this is the first time to have that happen. He's our special son with Down syndrome, and, and we have a special daughter who's taking care of him right now, and we're, we're grateful for that. Uh, we also have another son, Daniel, who lives in Los Angeles, and uh, we are grateful for him as well. We're all gonna be together in California uh, in the month of March for a couple of weeks so that we can just spend time together as a family with our son, Daniel, and so we're looking forward to that. They're gonna going to join us here eventually. So, But uh, they send you their greetings, and uh, we just thank you as a church for all that you give to us. Uh, prayers, first and foremost, your love, uh, your financial support, your sending of your team, your children, your loved ones to us to serve alongside of us. It, it really blesses our ministry and makes a huge difference. Uh, it really is a big help for us, so we want to thank you for that. Uh, it is exciting what the Lord is doing. Uh, I could take the next hour and talk all about that, but that's not what we've been tasked to do, so we won't do that. But I can just tell you that the Lord is at work doing mighty things in the hearts and minds of the people, not only of Honduras, but Central America and even into uh, South America. We have our first student this year from 
Cuba, who is just starting his first module tomorrow. Uh, we have our first student coming this year from Ecuador. Uh, we have, uh, he will be a second year student from Colombia and a second student who's desirous to come from Colombia. I don't think he's going to make it this year, but maybe next year. And uh, there's even a second student from Cuba that's interested in coming. It's just amazing what the Lord is doing and in places where it seems like, you know, maybe we can't get in with the gospel as North American missionaries. God and His grace is bringing men to us in Honduras so that we can train them and they can take the Word of God and preach accurately and precisely what the Word of God says to their people and their churches. And so we thank you for your ministry to us because that makes that feasible. As Pastor Joe had mentioned, I am privileged in my day job, so to speak, that I get to teach primarily in the area of theology in uh, SEPE Seminary. SEPE simply stands for the Seminary for Expository Preaching. And uh, we, we, that is our main ministry at a place called MEDA, the Evangelical Ministries of the Americas. And I have the joy of teaching theology. And people oftentimes ask me, Joe briefly shared my, my history in medicine. I, I enjoy medicine. I have always enjoyed it. I thank God for, for doctors. But for me, God kind of changed direction in my life. And I am thrilled to death that he did because I'm enjoying every minute of everything that I do. I still get a chance to doctor a little bit. I don't really work too much in our clinic. In fact, really not at all. My, my job associated with the clinic or my ministry, my joy associated with the clinic is simply to uh, help to make connections with them, to communicate with groups such as yours, that have people that are gifted and talented to come down and bring, whether they be medical skills or dental skills or nursing skills or whatever they might be, to come alongside and help us. Uh, Meta does not have a clinic. Clinic is the ministry of our local church that we attend, Bethany Baptist Church. And so, uh, but we have a great opportunity to serve that way. Basically, I serve as a doctor still only in the, when people come and go, Dr. Rob, Dr. Rob, we have a problem. They knock on my door. Probably happens at least every other day. Most days it happens. And uh, we kind of keep our own little mini pharmacy in our house. And so when people come, if we can help them, we try and do that. Sometimes it's simple. They just need a Tylenol or an ibuprofen. Sometimes they have an infection. Sometimes they cut themselves or whatever. But it, it is a great opportunity we can serve. And so we're happy to do that. But that's not my day job anymore. And so we're, I'm grateful that I have the chance to teach primarily in the area of theology. And so we have a title this morning for what we want to study and the title is called, God is Building a Building. God is Building a Building. And we want to talk about the importance of theological training and expository preaching in the context of missions. Now, that sounds like kind of a big task. You throw in some, some important words there like theological training and expository preaching. But the concept really is quite simple. And my goal this morning is that I can explain to you theologically from the Word of God as, as I have thought through why it is that we do what we do at Meta, as I have considered that in my own heart and my own mind, I wanted to share with you this morning what it is that God is doing in our ministry at Sepe Seminary and also in our sister ministries all over the world associated with the Master's Academy International. There are 17 or 18 different schools that associate together to do what we're doing in, in other countries around the world. But I really want to, to focus in on what, what Scripture tells us that we ought to be doing, especially in the context of missions, in the context of missions. 
The idea of theological training, uh, you know, theology is actually a compound word that just comes from the Greek word for God, which is theos, and then the, the Greek word for word, which is logos. And so we know it's kind of the word or the study of God. And so we want to understand what God has to say, obviously, from his word. And we want to train men to understand what God has to say to us from his word. And then we want to help them to be able to communicate that to their churches. I mean, that's what you do every Sunday, amen? I, I know you do. And that's what you want to be doing. You want to be hearing from trained men, generally, Pastor Joe, teaching you what the Word of God has to say. Why? So A, so you can know, and B, so you can apply it to your life and see God's work in your life. Amen? I mean, it's really that simple. And so what we want to do in the context of missions is do that exact same thing. We're trying to reproduce that exact same thing in the context of missions. But sometimes people get a little confused. They get a little distracted from what really missions ought to be. I can tell you in, in our neighborhood, our neck of the woods in Seguatepeque, Honduras, there are many people that are down there under the, the name of missionary. And for some of them, I'll just be quite direct, I'm not really sure what they're doing. And that's not to brag on what the Lord has done in our ministry. However, we are quite thrilled with what the Lord is doing. And it's not to say anything about us, but there ought to be purpose. There ought to be focus. There ought to be uh, a reason why you do what you do, right, when it comes to missions. I mean, let's be honest. You all are investing a lot into Robin Sherry Kensinger. I mean, you're really not investing it into Robin Sherry Kensinger. You're investing it into the Lord's ministry, and God in His grace has allowed Robin Sherry Kensinger to participate in that ministry. But you all are investing many resources, your time in prayer, your financial resources, your sending of your teams to come down alongside of us. There's many ways in which you are investing in missions, and not just for us, for other missionaries, as we heard about this morning from this wonderful family that's coming to visit you in a few weeks. And so you are investing in missions. You want to make sure that your investment is a good investment, right? You want to make sure that what you're investing in is accomplishing the purpose. And so that's what we want to focus on this morning. Let's start by going to the Great Commission. Let's look at Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. And we're going to look at a couple of points here. And then we're going to go to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. And then we're going to spend the remainder of our time in 1 Corinthians, chapter 3. So that's going to be our our goal this morning. We're actually going to spend a fair amount of time in the introduction. So if you're here this morning and boy, Rob is still going on with the introduction and there's only like 10 minutes left or, or 12 minutes left, it's okay. We're, we're going to get through it, okay? But we're going to spend a lot of time because really what we're doing is we're laying a theological foundation, I believe, from the Word of God and how it is that we ought to approach missions and specifically how it is that Meta and Sepe Seminary and TMAI are approaching missions. So we're very familiar with the Great Commission, I'm sure. Go, therefore, and, to, uh, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And, and we're not going to preach on the Great Commission this morning, but I want, to, I want you to see something within this Great Commission. And that is the following. The Great Commission is embedded in the context of the local church. You see that? The Great Commission is embedded in the context of the local church. 
Why is that important? It's important because many people believe that missions is simply going out, sharing the gospel, seeing people saved, and then moving on to the next person, right? It's sharing the gospel. It's evangelism. Missions certainly includes evangelism, amen? I mean, that's critical part. We need to share the gospel, and God in his grace uses that. He allows us to participate in the ministry of reconciliation, like it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, so that we can share the gospel with people. God then will use that through the work of his Holy Spirit and the work of the written word of God to bring them to himself. But that is only one part of what the Great Commission is. And the Great Commission is in the context of the church, the local church. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Now, making of disciples, sharing the gospel and people coming to Christ, as we know, is only step one, right? In fact, Christ described it metaphorically as the new birth, right? It's the, it's the new birth. Well, I, I have studied, we talked a little bit about biological things this morning, and I can tell you my undergraduate degree was in biology and, and of course went to medical school, and I can tell you from my vast studies of biology and my vast studies of medicine that the birth, physically, the first birth, it's kind of the beginning, okay? Maybe you didn't know that this morning. Now, we know conception. We believe that conception is really the beginning of life, but to our physical uh, getting to hold that baby, getting to see that baby, getting to love on that baby, especially for us men, because we don't, we don't get to carry the baby. The other side is we don't have to deliver the baby, right, ladies? But the birth is the beginning. It's not the whole process. And so when someone comes to Christ through the new birth, it's just the beginning of being made into a disciple, right? Making disciples begins at the birth. It takes a lot of time thereafter to accomplish making a disciple. In fact, it pretty much takes our entire life, right? Because we're always growing, we're always learning more about Christ. We see that here in this context. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, and if I jump down to verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Now, question, where do we do that? I mean, we, we can do it anywhere. We, we do do it sometimes with our neighbor, with our, our loved one. You know, hey, let's go out for coffee. Let's talk about what's going on in your life. We maybe do it in the biblical counseling office. But in general, it happens in the context of what? In the context of the local church, right? It's the local church who's been charged with making disciples. We have been charged with teaching all that he's commanded us to do. That's what we're doing right now. That's what we did in the Sunday school hour. Whether you were working with the children or, or serving in the nursery so others could attend Sunday school, that's what the goal was. We're trying to make disciples. We're trying to teach. We're trying to learn. We're trying to apply what the Word of God has to say to our lives. That happens in the local church. One other point that we see here in the Great Commission says in the second part of verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I've had the privilege of teaching junior high Sunday school class at our church for about three or four years now, and I love every minute of it. I think junior hires are some of the greatest people around, and not everyone holds that opinion, I know, but I do. I think they're really, really cool and a fun group because they're having the first opportunity in their lives where they're starting to think abstractly about theological concepts and ideas. You know, they've heard all those Bible stories in Sunday school, and now they're starting to ask questions like, hmm, how does that work? How do I apply that? Do I believe this? What does that mean? When, when I read about that story, they're applying all of that. 
And so I challenged my, my young people in my Sunday school class, and I asked them, so, so when you want to be baptized, where do you go? <laughs> well, the answer is obvious to that, right? When you want to be baptized, you go to the local bank, right? And when you go to the local bank, you go up to the, to the teller and you say, hello, sir, hello, ma'am. I would like to withdraw a baptism certificate so I could be baptized, please. Is that what you do? And of course, the junior hired, no, 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 no. You know, down there, they look at me and él es loco, él es loco, no. So, he, he, you know, no, that's not what you do. And, I, you know, I laugh with them. I, I'm silly, aren't I? Of course, we know that's not what we do. When we want to be baptized, we go where? We go to the supermarket. And we go to the supermarket and we buy baptism certificates. We see them right there next to the ketchup and mustard. Is that what we do? Of course not. Who's responsible for baptism? The local church. It's the local church. It's that part of identifying with Christ. We identify with the body of Christ. Water baptism is simply the demonstration externally of what God has done internally when we are baptized in Christ, like it tells us in Romans 6. And so then we demonstrate that externally through water baptism, saying, yeah, I died, I was buried, and I will rise again with Christ, right? And so when we do that, we're identifying with Christ, and when we identify with Christ, we're doing what? We're identifying with the body of Christ, with the body of Christ, the local church. And so the Great Commission is very much centered, it's very much rooted in the local church. The context of the Great Commission is the local church. Now, when we think a little bit about the local church, we have to think about, okay, what does God want in the local church? What does God want from the local church? We talked in Sunday school this morning very clearly that our, our goal, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 9, the goal of every individual here is that we might be pleasing to God, that we might be pleasing to God. Sometimes we'll say it this way, that we want to glorify God, right? We want to honor God with our lives. And in so doing, we are only glorifying and honoring God when we are obedient to God and His Word, which is, of course, pleasing to Him, because then we are obeying His will. We are not sinning against Him, but we are being obedient to Him. And so our goal is to be pleasing to Him. Within the context of the body, however, our goal is also to be pleasing to Him. And the way in which we're pleasing to Him, if you study through Scripture, is you're going to see a couple of things. One of them is that we are to do those one another's, right? We're to serve one another. We're to take our gifts and abilities so that we might serve one another, right? That's what we should do. And we should do that in the context of unity, in the context of unity. We must be unified in our goal of what we're trying to do, right? I mean, you've heard the expression possibly, you know, boy, leading them is, trying, is like trying to herd cats. You know, you can't herd cats. Cats just kind of do their own thing. That's what's so amazing about cats. I, I like cats, I'm sorry. But I think cats are really cool. I think they're wonderful. But man, they do their own thing. And they have attitude. That's part of what I like about cats. But that cats, uh, herding cats or herding a, a, a church full of cats, that doesn't work out so well, Right? I mean, the Bible tells us that we have to submit to our leadership, right? We need, to, we need to humble ourselves before the godly leadership within our churches, and we need to unify. We can't be arguing back and forth. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Let's see what Paul says to the Ephesian church when he speaks on this idea of unity. 
He says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Here we see those, those one another's, right? Being diligent to preserve the what? The unity. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, because there is only one body, one Spirit, just as you also uh, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So God's desire for us as a church is that we might have unity. Okay, so let's remember the Great Commission. Here's your, here's your first quiz for this morning, okay? Your first quiz. If, if the Great Commission tells us we're to go and we're to make disciples and we're to baptize them, which is in the context of the local church, and, and the local church is to have unity, all right, then one of our goals when we are sharing the gospel, and as, as we will call it in the world of missions, planting churches, right, when we plant a church, our, one of our major goals for that church is that they might be what? Unified, right? Unified in their obedience, unified in their purpose to honor and glorify God. Amen? Seems, seems fairly clear. Well, how does God help us in that? How does God help us in that? Well, we know individually God helps us by giving a, making us a new man. He saves us. He gives us a, a new heart, a new mind. He gives us the Holy Spirit to work within us. But God, as we continue reading here in Ephesians chapter 4, God also gives some very specific gifts to the church to help with this specific issue of unity within the church. What are those gifts? Well, if we read on here in Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 7, it says, But to each of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And we see this explanation of the gifts that Christ gives. And we won't, we're going to skip over that because that's another whole sermon. But we see in this context of gifts, when we get down to verse 11, that he gave, Christ gave, Christ gave to who? Christ gave to the church, we can tell by the gifts, Christ gave to the church, and what we'll see afterwards, we can see is to the church. He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. So he gave gifts to the church. What gifts did he give to the church? Here, it tells us he gave us specific people who serve in specific roles, right? Now, there's much confusion in the Latin American world and the Spanish-speaking world about these first two about apostles and prophets. I believe there are no more apostles in this day and age. Uh, there are some who say they are, and okay, fine, they're apostles, they're false apostles. There are also people in this day and age who say they are prophets, but according to the definition of God's word, especially in the book of Deuteronomy, they are false prophets because their prophecies don't come true 100% of the time. In fact, many say, my prophecies come true 80% of the time. That's pretty good. I'm a man of God. I'm a prophet of God. No, the Bible says you're a false prophet. The Bible says you're a false prophet unless your prophecies come true 100% of the time. That was the test that God gave Israel. It's no different for us. And so God gave apostles and prophets, but those period, that period, that, that, that period of apostles and prophets, that is done. So what is he talking about here? Well, we can just go in the context of Ephesians and go back a couple of chapters, go to chapter 2, go to chapter 2. So we don't actually have physical apostles and prophets anymore, 
But then if we look, beginning in verse 19, the context of this is the unification in the church, again, unity in the church of Jews and Gentiles, and he says, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens, speaking to the Gentiles of the Ephesian church, you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been what, in verse 20, having been built on the foundation of what? The apostles and the prophets having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. What is the foundation of the apostles and prophets? What do we have from the apostles and the prophets? This book right here. This is the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. What does it say? Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So this book is about Christ Jesus, and we're given the explanation of what God is doing in the church through the foundation of the Word of God, the foundation of what we have from the apostles and the prophets, which is all about Jesus, who is the cornerstone, right? When God is building this building of the church, we see that we have the apostles and prophets through the writing of the Word of God, in whom, verse 21, in whom the whole building of the church being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So he tells us that we have the apostles and the prophets. The gift that God has given to us through the apostles and the prophets is right here. It's the Word of God. There are no apostles anymore. The apostles have gone to be with the Lord. There are no more prophets. I don't believe that there are the gift of prophecy. I believe that that has ceased, but I believe that we have God's prophecy and what is necessary for God's prophecy written right here. So if you want to hear God speak to you, read this book. Read this book, okay? And he will speak to you through his written word. What else does it say in verse 11 of chapter 4? He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Now, this idea of evangelists, we we don't necessarily know 100% what, what is being said here. My personal belief, that I believe here that he is talking about a specific type of missionary. I think he's talking about missionaries, but even in the context of missionaries, my bias is that he's talking about a specific type of missionary. And I'll explain to you where I get that from. First of all, we all have the responsibility, not just the responsibility, but the privilege of what? We have the privilege of sharing the gospel. As believers in Jesus Christ, we're not to keep our light under a bushel, right? We're supposed to hold it out so that all can see it. We're supposed to let our light shine before men. Isn't that what the Word of God tells us? And so we're supposed to share the gospel. We're all supposed to be evangelists. But this is obviously talking about a special group of people. Apparently, people maybe who have been gifted in a certain way or have a specific task in which they need to accomplish and I believe that it's probably talking about missionaries, and specifically, I think that it's talking about missionaries like the Apostle Paul. Because when we read in Romans 15, 20, the Apostle Paul said this. He said, thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. And so what do we see in the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul was interested in sharing the gospel, but he wanted to go to places where the gospel hadn't yet been shared. In fact, he wanted to plant churches. He wanted to share the gospel. He wanted to evangelize in places that hadn't yet heard the gospel. In our day and age, that might be that, that new tribes kind of missionary. Or maybe it's that missionary who's going to the 1040 window, especially the Muslim world. 
in certain areas where the gospel has never yet reached. I personally believe that when it talks about evangelists there, because it kind of makes sense in the flow of the doctrinal communication that Paul is doing here, that God gave to the church evangelists. Those are those people who first bring the gospel to your town. And when you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, you come to Christ and he develops a church, and there it goes. But then there's one more gift that he gives to the church. And what is that in verse 11? Pastors, teachers. Pastors, teachers, right? He gives you, as a local church, the gift of Pastor Joe, right? He gives you a gift that he gives you a shepherd. He gives you shepherds, elders, pastors. Why does he give you those? He gives you those to help lead you. He gives you those to equip you. What does it say in verse 12? We see the reason why he gives us pastors and teachers. We have the word of God. The gospel is already here through the evangelists. Now we have pastors and teachers. And in verse 12, we see the reasoning for that. We have these gifts, these men in our lives in the church for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Hmm. So God gives us pastors and teachers. He gives us the Word of God. He has brought us the gospel. Why? So we can do what we're supposed to be doing as the church body, right? So that we are equipped, like it says in verse 12, to do the work of service so that we can see the body of Christ Physically, we see the local body of Christ being built up. We know there's a church universal, but you can't really see the universal church. We know it exists. That would be all those who who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But we can see the local church, right? And so he equips us and equips us for the building up of the body of Christ, especially that local body of Christ, until we all attain to the knowledge, or sorry, till we all attain to the what? To the unity of the faith to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, these false shepherds, these wolves who would come into our midst. We're not to be tricked by them anymore and their false teaching, but rather we're to be led and taught by good pastors who will teach us what the Word of God says so that we can apply it to our lives and that we might grow in unity together in Christ. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body is being fitted and held together. And so we see here within the context of this passage the importance of pastors and the gift of pastors to the local church. So, so we want to we transition now to our, our primary text. We didn't do too bad. We have about 12 minutes left. That's about what I expected. And we want to finally transition to our primary text and understand what I want to do is show you an example of a church in disunity of a church in disunity. You know, if we were to read Matthew 16, verses 16 through 18, in that discussion between Jesus and his disciples, specifically Peter, after Jesus had said, who do men say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, well, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father and who is in heaven. 
I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, I believe that's upon that revelation that, that God the Father gave to Peter, and thus his confession, he says, I will build my church. God is building a building. What is that building? He's building his church. God is building his church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. God will accomplish his task. He will build his church. We know he's building the church universal by seeing people saved. But in the context of the Great Commission, we know that for us, as we make disciples and see people baptized, confessing outwardly what Christ has done inwardly, that's in the context of Living Hope Bible Church. That's in the context of Iglesia Bautista Batania in Honduras. It's in the context of our local church. And God gives us these pastors to equip us to do the work of service and to help us to honorably and, and precisely follow God's word, apostles and the prophets, which is all about Christ. And in so doing, we are to do that unified because that's pleasing to God. That's glorifying to God. That honors God. That's what God wants us to do. And so our question for us in the context of our missions, I say our because we we're, we are your missionaries. We are your missionary. We are part of your church to that extent that we are your missionaries. And so your goal with all the resources that you are spending, all of the resources that you are blessing us with in Honduras, is that we might establish local churches down there that mirrors Living Hope Bible Church. Amen? You don't want to plant churches where every wind of doctrine is causing chaos within the church. You don't want to plant churches that are ununified, have disunity within them, do you? No, you want to plant a church that is pleasing to God, that is unified, that is following sound doctrine, that is following what the apostles and the prophets gave us, that is based upon the cornerstone, which is Christ. That's what we want to do. That's the whole focus. There are those that, in, especially in our area, that say, no, the missions work in Honduras, it's done. Because the Bible is this is Spanish, there are local churches, people have come to Christ, the gospel is there, the mission work is done, we need to go somewhere else. I want to suggest to you, no it's not. No it's not. Because without trained men, without trained pastors, who are equipped themselves in order to equip their local churches in sound doctrine so they're not carried away by every wind of doctrine, every wind of false doctrine, if there are not sound, doctrinally sound, biblically knowledgeable men who are leading those churches in unity, the job is not done. The job is not done. The missions work is not done. Yes, the evangelist has been there. The gospel has been shared. The Paul, if you will, has been there and shared the gospel. And we fully admit that we stand on the shoulders of those men and women who came initially and shared the gospel. But the Great Commission is not done because the local church is not yet unified. The local church is not yet walking in obedience to what the Word of God says. And we see that greatly. It doesn't mean there aren't some good churches here and there. But as a general rule for us in our mission field of Central America, there is a huge need for trained pastors that they can go into the local church, just like you all enjoy here with Pastor Joe when he brings you the word Sunday after Sunday. They need the same thing. You want your investment to accomplish the same thing. Amen?
That's what you want. You don't want anything short of that. Let's finish up our time by looking very quickly at an example of the church of Corinthians. Corinthians. Now, when I think of Corinthians, when I think of the church in Corinth, I think of a church not very unified, were they? I mean, they, they had lots of problems. They had, they had lots of issues. And, and, and if we were to look at chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, we can see that their issues, it wasn't God's fault. Okay, it wasn't God's fault. If we look very quickly at, uh, at chapter 1 and verse, verse 4, chapter 1 and verse 4, it wasn't because of some flaw in the initial establishment of the church. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus that in everything you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. And even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. So he says, hey, when you were established, you had everything that you needed. You had everything you needed. It wasn't because God was unfaithful. We don't see disunity in the Corinthian church because God was unfaithful. And yet when we study the book of of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians especially, we see all kinds of disunity, don't we? We see all kinds of disunity. We, We see that people are caught up in sexual sin. We see a horrible sexual sin. We see that people are caught up in divorce. We see that people are caught up in, oh, it's my turn to speak in tongues in front of the church because it's all about me rather than doing it in a way that edifies and builds up the church, which is the one another's, which is the unity of the church. No, we see the opposite of unity when we see this here. It wasn't because God didn't give them something as a church. It wasn't because God was not faithful to them. It wasn't because of that either. If we look in verse 7 through 9, so that in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm to you confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful through whom you serve, through whom you are called into the fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God was faithful. No, rather, the problem within those churches was their selfish pride. And I believe one thing that added to that was a lack of biblical godly leadership within the church. Lack of biblical godly leadership. It wasn't all the pastor's fault. That's not what I'm saying. It wasn't all, boy, their pastor was messed up, and so therefore the church went awry. No, no, no. The people bore responsibility for it. Because we see, when we read through these first two chapters, what are people saying? Well, I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. Oh, I'm more spiritual than all of you. I am of Christ. Does that sound like unity to you? Doesn't sound like unity. They had big problems in their church. They had major issues in their church. What has God given the church as a gift to help them with these kinds of issues? Well, first of all, we know that he's given us the apostles and the prophets. He's given us the word of God, right? But he's also given us a pastor, a shepherd, someone who will say, ho, 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 ho. Come on, people. Listen to what the word of God has to say here. We need to submit ourselves to Scripture and do what God's word says. We can't be arguing back and forth that I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos and I'm of Cephas. No, that's not pleasing to God. No, it's that shepherd that has to come and has to teach us. And if we skip over to chapter 3 in 1 Corinthians, jump over to chapter 3, we see that he says in verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak to you, Paul speaking to the Corinthian church, I could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, 
As to infants in Christ, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. A very immature church, not unified. They needed maturing. Even, indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, and are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like mere men? For one says, I'm a Paul, and another, I'm a Paulus. But are, are you not mere men? And so, Paul is challenging them. You are not obeying. You are not doing what God says. You are not following the word of God. I think some of that responsibility falls to leadership. Some of it falls to the church. But we have to look at Scripture and say, what does God give us to help when those problems arise? Obviously, they had the Apostle Paul. We have the writings of the Apostle Paul. But we need the help in order to build that building that God is building. Look at verse 9 with me. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. It's interesting, in that context, when Paul says we are God's fellow workers, he's talking about himself, he's talking about Apollos, and he's talking about those who come after him as pastor's teachers. He's talking about those who come behind him to lead and to instruct the church. What does it say in verse 10? According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. Now, we don't know who the pastor of the church was specifically at this time. We, we get the idea, obviously, Paul planted the church. We can study and find that. We also can see that apparently Apollos followed after him. But it would seem that at this time, there is someone else or other men who have followed after Apollos and this church needs help in their problem of unity. They need help in their problem of unsound doctrine, right? And so there is a role for these church leaders, and the role of these church leaders is to build up the church in unity. That's what we see in verses 9 and 10. We also see a responsibility of these church leaders in the second half of verse 10 and verse 11. Again, Paul says, I laid a foundation and another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So these men that follow after Paul in leadership, we, by application, we can apply this to any of our ministries, but I believe as I study this passage, he's specifically picking out the leadership within this church, this Corinthian church, and he says, I laid a foundation and others building on it. And each man, I believe he's talking about those that would follow after him as they build, help to build this building in this church. Each man must be careful how he builds on it. In other words, we need to build the church according to what the word of God says. How do we have help with that? Through the pastor. Through the pastor. Verse 12, we see the resources of church leaders the material with which they use to build. Now, if any man builds on the foundation, and again, I still think this is talking about the leadership, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. And so we see that there are resources that God gives us, now, each and every one of us in our spiritual ministry, we also have the responsibility to serve with excellence. But specifically, I believe this is talking about the context of those who would follow after Paul and church leadership. And there's really two groups of resources that are listed here. There's gold, silver, precious stones. Those are pretty good things, right? And then there's what? Wood, hay, and straw. Those are the bad things. 
And so we can apply this to ourselves and say, well, how am I doing in my ministry? Am I serving the Lord with excellence? Am I taking the best? Am I giving God the first fruits of my life? Yes, we can make that application, but again, I believe that this is talking about those who specifically are carried out with the task of building the church, because Paul said, we are God's builders, and you are God's building, speaking of the church, the Corinthian church in that context. And so we can see here that as pastors, we can do it in a good way, or we can do it in a bad way. We can serve the Lord with excellence according to what Scripture says, or we cannot. We can teach what the truth of Scripture says, or we can just kind of get up there on Sunday morning and just kind of wing it, right? We have plenty of men in our seminary who give testimony that that's exactly what they used to do. They were just, they never studied. They just got up and read Scripture and said, here's what I think God's trying to tell to us. Is that the kind of pastor that we want? Is that the kind of churches we want planted with our missions resources? Obviously, the answer to that is no. Finally, we see in the concluding verses um, of this passage, obviously there's a, re- there's a reward, there are resources that they can use, but there's also a reward. When our work is tested with the fire, it says again in verse 13, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work and if any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. I think that's talking about the quality of the church the quality of the church which he serves. And if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God? Again, now speaking to the church. And that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. And so, we, again, by application, we can apply these principles to our lives, but I very much believe here he's talking about the leadership of the church. We also get a general warning within this final verse or final verses that do you not know that you are the temple of God? And in verse 17, if any man destroys the temple of God, whether he be a pastor or whether he be a layman within the church, if someone starts to cause chaos within the church, if someone starts to cause disunity in the church, if someone is bringing in false teaching into the church and destroys that church, destroys the temple of God, whether it be some individuals or the church in general, God will destroy him. There there is justice to pay for that. God takes that very seriously. So how can we conclude this morning? What, What can we say about missions and this theology of missions and the importance of expository preaching which simply is communicating the theology to the local church? Once again, you as a church, Living Hope Bible Church, have invested greatly into our ministry and into our lives. We praise the Lord for that. We're grateful for that. There's a reason why you're doing that, and I applaud you in it, and I say keep doing it. Do we need missionaries who are evangelists like Paul? Do we need missionaries who will go out and be the first ones to share the gospel for the first time in new areas? Amen. Absolutely we do. Absolutely we do. But the work is not done, I would challenge you. The work is not done until there are pastors who have been trained who are in those churches, who are building up that building in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. They're using gold and silver and precious stones. They're using the precious resources that God has given them. They're working with excellence to develop a church with unity, who's following the Word of God, who's obeying what God's Word says. Until that is done, the missionary work is not done. 
until they can replicate, as Paul told Timothy, that he needs to share with faithful men that which Paul had shared with Timothy in the presence of many witnesses, 2 Timothy 2.2, until they are able to do that for themselves, our mission work is not done. We are still called by the Great Commission to go in and to make disciples and to baptize them in the context of the local church. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what's our conclusion? It's real simple. Keep it up. Keep it up. Keep doing what you're doing in missions. Keep supporting not only evangelists who go out into new lands, who go out into Muslim worlds, the 1040 window, uh, tribal regions where they've never heard the gospel. Keep supporting those missionaries. But also keep supporting missionaries that are with groups like TMEI that are going then on that second phase that second important realm of missions work where we're training the pastors to be preaching and teaching, to be exhorting in unity within those local churches so that they can have a unified church and a sound biblical church just like Living Hope Bible Church here in Issaquah, Washington. Make sense? So all of that is simply to say, keep it up, keep it up. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I do thank you for your word. I thank you for the goodness of the truth of your word. Lord, I know that without your word, we just wander astray. Without your Holy Spirit ministering within our lives, we so easily can become confused. We so easily can walk according to our own selfish pathways. Lord, as a church, you've called us to unity. As a church, you've called us to be obedient to you. You've given us the gifts of the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, and pastors, teachers. You've given us those gifts so that we might be pleasing to you, not only as we serve one another, but as we also carry out the task that you've given the church, and that is the Great Commission. And so I pray that you continue to bless this church, continue to uplift them, continue to provide for them, help them as they continue in their uh, missions outreach, that they will continue to not only support those who are carrying the gospel for the first time to new lands, but they would also continue to support those who are training pastors, Lord, so that they might guide and uh, uh, work with sound doctrine in local churches, so that they might be unified and honoring and pleasing to you. We ask all this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.